Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Mike's on. He's ready to go. On the fan. New York Sports Radio. Mike's on. Mike's on. All right, we come to you on this June 1st, brought to you as always by Casamigos Tequila, brought to you by those who uh, drink it, take you right up until 7 o'clock as we usher in a new month, uh, and as we usher in the month, you hope as we turn the calendar that maybe things will get better, and instead things are, if anything, getting a little crazier, so uh, that's where we are this evening. Uh, we'll get to the baseball in a second. We'll get to the counter offers. And what these offers lead me to believe, I will tell you. Uh, so I do think they send you in a very direct direction and a very logical direction. Uh, I will get to that in a second. We had another passing. It seems like somebody's always uh, dying these days, but I guess that happens as you do this long enough. Pat Dye, uh, who I knew, the football coach, a uh, very good one for Auburn, passed away today at the age of 80. Um, and as we, this evening, uh, a lot of us will be turning on our news and watching what we've watched the last couple of nights across this country. Uh, let me just say a couple of things, first of all. It is obviously a very, very strange time. For a couple of months, we fought this invisible opponent and we haven't done very well against it and as we try to get past that a little bit now we've decided to try to fight each other there is obviously reason for unrest logical reason for unrest as i come on the air the medical examiner in minnesota has now declared the death uh if anyone had any questions a homicide so there is no discussing anything else not that we expected anything different in that but just news that it has just unfolded in the last few seconds two things number one you would hope for cooler heads to prevail and number two if you've been doing this as long as I've done it I think I've seen just about everything while I've been 
coming to you over these airwaves all these many years, going on 35 years now. We've been through a lot of different things, a lot of different things that have happened in our city, across the country. If you're my age, we've lived through worse than this. What we see isn't pretty, and no one wants to see it escalate in any way. Nothing is gained by it escalating in any way, and we know that. But this is not close to what we saw happen in the 60s, and we survived that. Now, I'm not, no one's looking for it to get anywhere near that. What has happened, though, is we live in an immediate era, era now. We live in a, a different world now. We live in a world of instantaneous technology and immediacy. So we didn't see what went on in the cities across America in 67 and 68. We weren't in Detroit in 67. We weren't in Chicago in 68. We weren't in the other cities as the really unbelievable things unfolded in cities across our land. And you had the idea of racial issues and racial divide, and you had the Vietnam War on top of it. Now we're trying to deal with the, or try to fight our way through a pandemic we still don't have a cure for or any answers for. And on top of that, now we deal with a civil unrest and a racial divide again that is dividing our country. You know, um, as a West Wing fan, and I've... I've mentioned the West Wing to you many times through the years as a, one of my favorite shows. And if you know the show, then you know the quote because the quote was utilized in the show. The ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral begetting the very thing that it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie nor establish the truth. Those are the words of Martin Luther King, and very apt and very true. Violence doesn't help anything. We understand that. And we try to pin who is causing the violence. So we talk about outside agitation, of which I'm sure there are some. There is civil unrest. We know there are very unhappy people out there. We know they're unhappy for a variety of reasons, and we know they have reason to be unhappy with what's gone on in certain locales, including Minnesota, in the last couple of weeks. So we know there's valid reason for it, but the violence doesn't help anything and doesn't prove anything. And as I watched this last night, especially in Santa Monica, an area that I know because I've stayed right there, and I'm thinking of those store owners who have probably been closed for a couple of months and are getting by on a shoestring. And that was the case probably in many cities across the country the last couple of nights. And just as they're about to reopen or think about reopen, uh, maybe save their business, now they may have had their business destroyed or looted or burnt to the ground. And they have to deal with that. And that might be white store owners, black store owners, guys who are just getting by, guys who are getting more than getting by. It doesn't matter. It's all part of the same story, one that we hopefully can get past. And we look to sports to provide that because it's one of the things sports does provide. 
I mentioned on the Sunday show yesterday, if you happen to be listening yesterday morning, that I went back when I watched some of this stuff on Thursday, on uh, Friday night and Saturday night. Before I went to bed on Saturday, I went and found the HBO documentary on A City on Fire about the 68 Tigers and their run to a World Series and how that city was completely torn apart in July of 1967 with the Yankees ironically playing right down the road and fans not even able to get to the game because of what was going on in the city. They burnt 2,300 stores to the ground. 2,300 stores. They... It was chaos. No one even was going to see the Tigers, who were a game out of first place at the end of 67, fighting a four or five team race with the Yankees out of it. And in that late July night when the Yankees were there, that was the night it all started, July 23rd, 1967. And the Tigers fell a game short in 67, but came back even better in 68. And in 68, they unified a city that was completely and utterly divided and being destroyed. And you have guys in that documentary who say, we, we put down our bricks that we were throwing to root for the Tigers. The Tigers unified the city. Willie Horton in his uniform, Detroit native. You know, black player, white player, Gates Brown, Earl Wilson, Willie Horton, Al Kalon, you name it. And how this team that had such a great 1968 gave this city something that allowed it to be unified. And where sports basically kept a city breathing at a time where it could have been completely destroyed. And that 68 Tiger team did that. And how the people, when they beat a Cardinal team, which they had trouble rooting against, where the inner city people of Detroit had trouble rooting against because of all the black stars featured on that Cardinal team. That Cardinal team depicted the new age of baseball. That is what Halversham wrote about in 64, the Yankees, the white dynasty, the Cardinals, the burgeoning new National League, the idea of them going to the black and the Spanish player first, and now that paying the dividends of producing this great Cardinal team in 64 and 67 and with Gibson on the mound in 68. And when the Tigers came from 3-1 down to beat that great Cardinal team, when it started to turn, when Willie Horton threw Lou Brock out at the plate who didn't slide, and they found a way on that K-line base hit to game, come back and win game five, and then they went back to St. Louis in game six and drubbed them with a 10-run inning and a Northrop Grand Slammer, and then got ready for a Game 7 with not the great Denny McLean on the mound, but Mickey Lolich, who had become the star of that series, having already beaten them twice, taking on the unbeatable Gibson, who those Tiger fans admitted they had trouble rooting against. And 0-0 after six innings. And with two out, Northrop hitting a line drive that Kurt Flood broke the wrong way on and slipped that went over his head for a two-run triple, and they went on to beat the great Gibson, who was all but unbeatable at that time. And the unbeatable Cardinals and that city that had been completely 
almost virtually burnt to the ground in mass ran out of buildings to celebrate for hour after hour about their Tigers winning a World Series and how that city on fire was saved by the 68 Tigers and how a sports team can do that. And that's the best thing you can say about sports. There's a lot of things that you can't say well about sports. I'll get to a couple of them in a minute. The abject greed that you have with these owners and the players in baseball right now. But what it is good at is it doesn't care where somebody comes from. It doesn't care what their father did. It doesn't care what their name is or how much money they have or what their family accomplished. It matters if you can play. doesn't matter if you're black or white, thank God, once Jackie Robinson broke the barrier. It matters if you can play. Are you good enough to play? Are you good enough to win? And that's all anybody really cares about. And the idea that we can bring different people from different backgrounds and different races and different creeds together to unify a ball team and play as one means that the human experiment can, be, can work. If it works for a baseball team, if it works for a basketball team, if it works for a football team, it can work for the rest of civilization. So it can be not only that diversion, it can be that grand experiment. And that's what you look for tonight. You look for cooler heads and you look for some common ground. No one wants to see the National Guard. No one wants to see tanks. No one wants to see the military. Nobody wants to see looting or broken windows or fire or anything else. We want to see cooler heads prevail. Now to the baseball. The players offered 114 games so that they could get more money with a longer season. The owners countered with, all right, we'll give you your prorated money, but we'll play 50 games. So what the owners told them was, what the owners told the players was, we don't give a damn about the integrity of our sport. We don't give a damn about anything. The histor- the, how it stacks up historically, the keepers of the records, the legitimizing of a championship, Nonsense. What we want is the playoff money. We want to protect the playoff money and get through the regular season losing as basically handling our national commitments on television to get that pool of money and then getting the big pool of money which comes with the postseason. And as little money as we can spend, meaning your salaries for the regular season, we're fine with that. So they're basically admitting they could care less about the integrity of their sport. So once you get over that shock as a fan and realize that they could care less about that, then understand that what it means is they will get a deal. 
it might seem silly to you, uh, and if you're a purist, 82 might have seemed silly to you. 50 will seem ridiculously silly to you. It should, it should seem silly to you because it is silly. A 50-game season then on to the playoffs is a farce. But what do you care? If you sit home and watch it, it's entertainment. All you got to do is turn your TV on, and you know what? When you get to the postseason, you won't really care. And if you're that much of a purist, then you know what? Don't watch. But what they're telling you is they don't care. They don't care about the integrity of their sport. They don't care about the legitimacy of their championship. What they want is their playoff money. They want to take care and make sure their partners, which they consider to be the TV networks, are taken care of, and that they can get that pot of postseason money, get whatever signage or whatever they can get out of their stadium sponsors with signage in their buildings, and get by with whatever activating they can do of any tertiary revenue streams that they get to keep themselves, and then pay the players what they have to pay them. So maybe they say 50 and they settle on 60. Still a ridiculously low amount of games. But what it tells me is once they're willing to put forth that ridiculous proposal, it tells me two things. One, all they want to do is make sure they activate and cash the check for the postseason pool and pay the players as little as possible in the regular season. That means they'll get a deal. Back after this. All right, we're back. A couple of things. Uh, I always do the uh, Mickey and Bernie statistics, which I will until baseball comes back. Today for Bernie was uh, June 1st, of course, 1999. He went three for three with two RBIs and two runs scored. Put him at 731 for the season. A very good season for him. And, he fin- and right now at this point, he was 343, batting average with a 403 on base percentage. Very good numbers for Bernie. For Mickey, this was 1966. Uh, remember, he comes off 64 when the Yanks lose Game 7 of the World Series. That was his last big season. 65 is the first year the Yankees slide, the first year they, the dynasty crumbles. They finish sixth. 66, he finished, the Yankees finished in uh, last place. Uh, that Mantle went two for four with a home run and a double. Just his fifth home run, 15th RBI, was batting 272 at this point, 354 on base percentage. And he wound up having a torrid July, uh, a torrid June in this season, a little later on, but uh, and a hot streak, but obviously not a big season. There were no big seasons left in 65, 66, 67, 68, just hanging around to fill stadiums. That was pretty much uh, what was left. So that's where we are right now with that. And I promise after I take a quick break, after one more thing, I'll come back and get your calls in on whatever's on your mind this evening as we take you up until 7. The passing of Pat Dye. Pat Dye, if you're a college football fan, you know the name. Coach Bo Jackson. Bill Dalburn into a power. When Pat Dye interviewed for the Auburn job. They obviously want to know one thing. How long will it take you to beat Alabama? And he said, 
can you repeat the question? He said, how long will it take you to beat Alabama? He said, 60 minutes. He says, I don't think we can beat them in less than that. It actually took him two seasons. Uh, what Pat Dye did is he restored Auburn to, to legitimate footing. Uh, Auburn had lost eight straight times to Alabama when Pat took the job. He beat Alabama in his second season. He went 6-6 six and six against Alabama, which is doing something. And not only that, he actually got the game out of Birmingham because Bear had gotten a game to where it was always on. You know, uh, the game was played in Birmingham. And obviously, the game was never played on Auburn turf. So I got the game home and home. He got the game back on the Plains and then back to Alabama. So the game went to Alabama and back to Auburn, which was something Alabama wanted forever. I mean, Auburn wanted forever was to get the game where they could get it. Bear was so big, it didn't have to work that way, but he finally did that. I knew Pat Dye pretty well. He was a guy that, uh, you know, was an up-and-coming coach, you know, East Carolina, Wyoming, tough guy coach, rugged, you know, real this, real typical of the coach of that era. Charlie Pell, Danny Ford, Pat Dye, you know, those kind of Southern coaches, tough guys, you know, uh, you know, physical teams, you know, really uh, tough, rugged, competitive football teams. Really solid guy. Did a, did a very had very good teams a lot of years. He really did. Was a real force there. I mean, the years he was at Auburn, the Auburn was a, was a factor. There's no question. Year after year after year. They had some really good players there. Uh, led, of course, by the Heisman Trophy winning incomparable Bo Jackson. Uh, he went 99 and 39 in 12 years at, at, at uh, Auburn. Came the AD. Uh, and passed away. Ironically, did get the virus. Now, his son said that that's not what killed him. He didn't show any symptoms of the virus, but he did get it. He tested positive for it, but what he died of was a kidney ailment. Uh, And he passes away at the age of 80. You know, it seems like we do a lot of these now, and a lot of these guys that I came across, you know, traveling, doing games, you know, traveling for college football, college basketball, and the stuff we did in those days. Uh, got to go to a lot of those programs, meet a lot of those coaches, and meet a lot of coaches who became head coaches. And when I would be there, when I first started out, if I was with Brent and Ara and working with them, they'd go meet with... Hayden Fry, and they would be in the meeting room with just Hayden Fry. I'd sit around with the assistant coaches, and the assistant coaches in those days were Bill Snyder was on that staff who went on to, you know, legendary career at Kansas State. Barry Alvarez was on that staff who went on to a legendary career at at Wisconsin. Um... You had the Stoops as grad assistants on those Iowa teams, just to show you. I mean, he had a great staff there. 
uh, guys who were on old Bruce's staff and what uh, meeting them, guys who were on Jackie Sherrill's staff. I met an assistant that became a guy I've known for my whole life, you know, I was on Jackie uh, Sherrill's staff, Jimmy Johnson. That's how I met, you know, Calipari as an assistant coach. How I met Jay Wright as an assistant coach. Down the line to these guys that generations later become top, top head coaches. A generation later. And, of course, you know, I was fortunate enough to meet the Paternos and Bobby Bowdens and Lou Holtz's and all the others through those years, you know. I even met Bryant once. One time. I was afraid to speak when I was in the room with him. I was in the room with him for one time. That was it. And he was bigger than life with the graveliest voice you ever heard. It really did sound like a bear. Well, one of his competitors, one of his, the guys he, uh, you know, that obviously Alabama had to deal with was Pat Dye and Auburn, and he passes away today at the age of 80, back after this. All right, everybody keep their heads, okay? I mean, like I said, we've gotten through worse than this. We'll get through it. So uh, that's it. Just everyone just, you know, be calm and, uh, you know, try to be considerate and understand everybody has a job to do. And hopefully... Hopefully we get through this without too much craziness. Although I'm watching here on TV right now and I see the unrest right now in Minnesota and I see the unrest in Washington, D.C. So uh, we'll still keep our fingers crossed. All right, uh, Bob joins us to start us off. What's up, Bob? Hi, hi, Mike. Uh, You know, you were talking about the Tigers and the Cardinals and uh, I'm 70 years old and it just brought back memories of... uh, when I was younger, and I, I watched uh, Mickey Mantle was my uh, favorite ball player. Yeah, mine too. And uh, it seems like the guys back then they, they, they just loved the game more than the guys do today. Yeah. I remember. You know, listen, they, they, you, you think that because the, the, these guys have become more businessmen. You know, they would have become that if they were treated differently. It's just there was a little more of an innocence then because they weren't in control of things as they are now, and the money's so much different. You know, they hadn't yet challenged the reserve clause, so they with the property. The club had so much power then compared to now. You know, the you know you know Mickey Mantle hit. 365 and they offered him a pay cut I mean so I mean stuff like that that went on which wasn't right which is why when the pendulum swung it swung too much towards the player but I I remember Mantle once he struck out and he actually kicked his glove out to center field I saw him do that more than once I saw him do it more than once I actually saw him do it I'll tell you a game I was at 1963 uh, excuse me 1965 and Whitey Ford was pitching against Jim Mudcat Grant and it was a Sunday afternoon game at Yankee Stadium, and Mickey struck out in the first inning, and who knows, maybe he'd been out Saturday night because it was a Sunday day game, and he struck out and and just kicked his glove all the way out to the to the outfield. Uh, absolutely. So I, I saw him do that. He did. He definitely did it more than once. I saw him attack the water cooler a couple times too. He'd get mad. There's no question. He, he and he sure struck out enough to get himself angry. Uh, but he also uh, came through enough to to be uh, big too. I saw him hit a couple of big home runs in my life, uh, including the game I talked about with Jim Cott many times, where Cott. 
let it pitch to him in the ninth inning of a one nothing game in the year that the Twins lost the pennant by one game, and Mantle hit the home run, and the game ended 1-1 because it rained. Uh, but he pitched to Mantle in the ninth, and I asked him why, and he told me because Ellie Howard killed him. He said, I used to get Mickey out. He said, Ellie drove me nuts. Ellie was on deck. And he said, so I pitched to Mickey one nothing, and Mickey hit the ball in the bleachers uh, with one out in the ninth inning. Uh, and, and it was in 67 with Ellie behind him. Thanks for the call. Richard in Manhattan. What's up, Richard? Hi, Mike. Mike, Ted Williams, Carl Yastrzemski, Jim Rice. Do you take that, or do you go to take it what? Or do you go? Well, wait a second. Come on, Richard. These are silly. Come on. In one position. Well, wait a second. What is the point? Those guys didn't play together. What's the point? No, they all took each other's place. That's my point. Well, wait, say, go- wait a second. Wait a second. Matt Mercer didn't take Mantle's place. He didn't replace Mantle in center field. He didn't replace. Okay. Well, no, he did. He did. He, 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 did, he, did, he, did, he did replace him, but Mercer didn't get to center field immediately right, after. Uh, right. He was. He played third base. He played right field. Then he went to center field. He didn't go there immediately. Can I mention something about Lou Brock? Lou Brock in '64 was on the Cubs. He had he got traded minutes. for Ernie Brolio. Yeah. Yeah, it's still one of the worst trades of all time. He's got traded for a guy who became a Hall of Famer. Bob Gibson didn't like the trade. They liked Brolio. Brolio was 18 and 8. The Cardinals won 19 out of 20 to finish 63. It was one of the great one of the great trades of all time. Absolutely. Was playing under nine in 1964. The Cubs didn't have one manager. They had nine. Well, managers. We, 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 no, they had they had a well, they had a assistant. They had managers, but they had a head. Ma- they they did have a head assistant, but they had no manager. That's correct. They played under. And thanks for the call. Yes, they played under. They played under no manager, but they did have a guy who was designated to be in charge. He just was not named the manager. He wasn't, and. They did make, he did make a trade. They made a trade for Brolio for, you know, that was one of the worst trades of all time because Brock becomes an all-time great player. Those Cardinal teams were great, absolutely great. And then they got Maris to play right field. So you had McCarver behind the plate. You had Cepeda at first base. He got traded for Ray Sadecki. You got, uh, you got uh, Julian Javier at second. You had Maxville, uh, Dale Maxville at short. You had Kenny Boyer at third. And you had Brock, Flood, and at that time Maris in right field with, with, led by Bob Gibson. That was a great, great team. Gibson was so good in that Tiger series. It's amazing they beat him. Amazing. The only reason they beat him was with two out. They got two, two, they got two out singles in the seventh in a scoreless game. And then Northrop hit the ball to center field, and Flood not only was and Flood was a great center fielder. He not only broke the wrong way, he almost fell down, and the ball went over his head. And that was it. And Lolich beat him. And Lolich was the hero of the series, as you know. He was he was the big hero of the series. They were down three games to one, and Horton threw out Lou Brock at the plate on a play where Brock didn't slide. And if you remember, Brock came back to try and tag the plate. And Freehand, when he tagged him, said he tagged him, but then tagged him again. And after the game, there was a big brouhaha about the fight. And then they said, well, if Freehand knew that Brock didn't touch the plate, uh, if Freehand knew he had tagged him, why did he tag him again? And if uh, and Brock and Freehand said, well, if Brock knew he got the plate the first time, why was he running back to touch the plate again? 
So obviously, Brock didn't know that he got the plate. Freehan didn't know he tagged him, so he tagged him again anyway before Brock got back to the plate. So even if they missed it the first time, Freehan got him the second time. Because Brock was running back to the plate, Freehan tagged him on his way back to the plate. And they said, why did Freehan tag him? And Brock said, he said, well, why was Brock running back to the plate? Brock didn't just head to the dugout. Brock ran back to the plate. So the bottom line is they both didn't know what had happened. But the key was uh, Brock, who was lightning fast, and Horton was not a great outfielder, he thought he was going to score, you know, he thought he was going to score standing up. And he tags him out at the plate. Came a huge play in game five. And then K-Line. And remember, that series is known for one of the craziest decisions and one of the most controversial decisions ever. Mayo Smith to get Al K-Line, who broke his arm, back in the lineup. He doesn't want to disrupt his hot-hitting team. He puts K-Line in right and takes his center fielder and puts him at shortstop. So that he could get everybody in the lineup. And he puts Mickey Stanley at shortstop. And even McCarver said, I thought that was going to cost him the series. They weakened themselves at short and in center. And, and Northrop, and you know, K-Line said, to, he was such a good guy. He said to the manager, he said, listen, I, you know, I, your team is so hot and everyone's hitting so well. I've been out six weeks. I don't deserve the play. And they said, you think after all these years? You've been on this team all these years. You're going to the World Series, and we're not going to play you in the World Series? They said, we're playing you in the World Series. And then K-Line, with the bases loaded, got the big hit in Game 5. Uh, Bobby and Mayapak, go ahead, Bobby. How you doing, Mike? What's happening? Hey, Mike, you know, in Saratoga, Mike, I, I don't know much about technical stuff, but do you think that they could... Maybe, like, you know, for these restaurants, you could put big screens inside for the racing, and you could have betting. Maybe the state of New York could put betting in there so you could bet in a restaurant and watch the races in Saratoga. What do you think? No, uh, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think the racing will happen in Saratoga, but I think there will be no wagering. You know, there, I mean, they'll be wagering. Or you know, on your phone or whatever. I don't think that they'll set up any restaurants for that, but there'll be no wagering at the track at all. I think what happened with Saratoga was, and thank for the call, is that everybody. See, the thing about Saratoga is the governor had to make a decision because of the lag time. Everybody who's from downstate who needs to go up there to work for the Saratoga meet, which is now six weeks long. Okay and really almost six and a half weeks long, they have to, by April, commit to getting living quarters where they rent houses up there or they rent apartments up there. And these people needed to know because they had to outlay the money. They needed to know whether they were going to go. You probably had a 1,000 people who needed to know whether they were going to rent a place in Saratoga or not by April. And even April was pushing it late this year. They needed to know. Saratoga's economy will be destroyed this year. I mean, do you know how many people go? That, that's like saying the Hamptons will remain empty this summer. I mean, I can't see a lot of people going to Saratoga without racing. And there's not going to be any, they're not going to change that because they can't. There's nothing they can do now. They're not going to have any, uh, any wagering. I think, they haven't even announced yet they're having ra- wa- wagering. 
uh, or racing yet. They haven't even officially announced uh, racing yet in Saratoga. We know there's no sales in Saratoga. We know there's no fans in Saratoga. We have not been told that there's racing yet in Saratoga, but we believe there will be racing in Saratoga. There is racing at Belmont starting on July 3rd. Coming up Wednesday, there's racing in uh, in Belmont uh, every day. The Belmont meet starts. Uh, The Belmont stakes will be on the 20th. The Belmont meet starts. So uh, there will be racing. So I would think they'd be racing in Saratoga, but we just won't be able to go there this year, unfortunately. Bob and Vero Beach, what's up, Bob? How you doing? What's happening? I can't believe you mentioned that game with the Hickeys against with Jim Cobb versus Al Downing. Uh, that was July of '67. Yes, it was. As a year, as a 15 year old, a hot night, brother, a very hot night. Yeah, my older brother drove us down from upstate New York, about an hour away, to the game. We sat in the lower right hand right field uh, stands, and my vision of it is when Mickey hit that home run. It went so high. He hit it right-handed, obviously. Right-handed, went so yes. High, went so high against the uh, the lights down the, down the left field side. I lost sight of the ball and thought I was witness to the first ball ever hit out of Yankee. Well, it actually went in the bleachers. It went yeah, into it it, 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 it. it actually went into left center field because it went past. It went into the. It went into. It wasn't straightaway left. It was a little to left center. It went into the bleachers. You're absolutely right. I had to buy daily news the next day to find out where where it landed. What a shot it was! And 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 immediately after, and it was a blazing hot night. Right. And immediately after he hit it, it started raining. The clouds opened up. You're right. Yep. It ended up in a one-one tie. Yep. And I found, actually I actually found the game online. Uh, a site called I think Retro Sports. Cost them like a cost them a pennant. Did it really? I don't recall that. The Red Sox lost by one game. Oh wow. Okay, but you know it was a real pitchers' duel, like you say, with Al Downing versus yes. Jim Cott. And matter of fact, I was listening today. You had Kitty Cott on, yep. on, on, on the interview. I asked Cott about this. I for you know years ago, and then I got and thanks for the call, Bob. I got to ask him on the air. But years ago, I met Cott, and he, Cott's been a great guest, as you know. I met Cott, and I said, I got to ask you a question. I was at this game. Why would you pitch to Mickey Mantle there with two out in the ninth inning of a one nothing game? He says, Mike. Elston Howard killed me. He said, I could get Mickey out. If I was smart, I put the ball in the right spot, change speeds, I could get Mickey out. He said, I couldn't get Elston Howard out for anything. So I'm not pitching Elston Howard there and walking Mickey. I don't walk Mickey. I pitched Elston Howard. He says, I'm not putting a winning run on, you know, I'm, I'm not bringing a winning run to the plate by pitching to a guy who kills me. So I'm going to pitch to Mickey there, and boom, what does Mickey do? He hits it. And the other run was a Killebrew home run. Killebrew hit one off Al Downing. That was the other run. So I, I remember that game. I remember it so well. 1967. Absolutely. And I only... I saw Mickey Mantle hit three home runs in person. One in 61, one in 64, and one in 67. That was it. I saw him hit three home runs. And I probably saw him, I didn't see him that many times in person. I, I First game I ever went to, Mantle, in 1961, Mantle, May, Maris, and Blanchett homered. 
I only went to I went to a game in 62 and my mom got tickets from somebody and she let us come out of school and we sat in a great seat because like, there was nobody there. It was a school day. Yanks had already clinched. Mantle was batting first because they were trying to get him enough at bats to win the batting title against Pete Runnels in 1962. And first time up, Mickey popped up a ball that I said, oh, that's an out. And it wound up being a ground rule double. It bounced on the line and went into the seats and it was the only hit he got in the game that day. And, uh, and then I saw him four other times and I saw him in my life seven times at the game, uh, at a game, and he hit a home run three times in seven games I saw. I, I saw him play live seven times, and he hit, and he homered three times, which is not not terrible considering. If you're asking me what the third one was, I'll have to remember because I know I know it was three because uh, I've said that a couple of times in my life. I have to figure out what the third one was, because one was 67, and one was in 61. He hit one in the same game. It was against the Cleveland Indians with Blanchard and Maris. And then I'm going to have to remember what the other one was, because I can't remember off the top of my head. I think I'm not sure what year it was. In 62, I, he didn't home in that game against Washington. I'll have to remember what game he hit a home run. But I know he hit one other one. Uh, I, I saw him against the Indians once with Sam McDowell, where he struck out three times in the game, too. That wasn't pretty. Uh, he, that he struck out three times in that game. All right, let me get one more call in before we uh, say goodbye. E. Frank, go ahead, E. Frank. Yes, uh, good evening, Mike. Uh, I've been, I'm a recent listener to your show, and I'm very, uh, I, I love your statistics. Uh, you've been there a long time, and you've told your story about your father and everything, so I, I'm really hooked on your show now. But uh, what I call this evening is because uh, I'm a little bit concerned. They're not making any arrangements or deals between uh, the uh, baseball managers and major leagues. So, it, your your pick uh, or, or uh, your prediction? Do you think they will be able to start the season in a few weeks? Um, I think that I don't think they're going to start in a few weeks. I think you got longer than that. But I do think what I said was off the negotiation today with them ha- with the owners and the players showing such total disregard for anything except money. They, have, they don't care about the credibility of the sport. They don't care about the legitimacy of a championship. They're admitting, the owners are admitting the only thing they care about is making sure they protect the postseason money and keep their costs down in the regular season as much as possible. So if they're willing to put forth, which would be a sham of a season, a 50-game regular season schedule, which would be a complete folly, 50 games in Major League Baseball is a folly. I hope they're treated to some really good team not making the playoffs under that scenario where they just get off to a dreadful start. But uh, they'll probably increase the number of teams that get in this year. And who knows, where the 50 game, they might let everybody in and make it an elimination tournament. You might actually have that happen this year. If they only play 50 games, don't be surprised if everybody makes the playoffs. Why not? The year's that much of a joke anyway. Why not let everybody in? You might as well. I mean, 50-game regular season is, is an absolute... In baseball, that, it's a farce. That is equivalent... That is equivalent to playing a 25-26 game NBA season. I mean, come on. That's a joke. But they want to protect the postseason money at any 
cost, and they want to keep the regular season cost down. So what it tells me, if they don't have any regard for anything else except that, they'll get a, they'll get a deal done. I think they will get a deal done. But I think the season is going to really suffer, and a lot of people are going to be very unhappy. But listen, you will have some baseball at least, and you will probably have an exciting postseason if that's what you care about. They might even extend it. They might even put every team in it. There might be some kind of tournament in that regard where everybody gets in. Who knows what they'll come up with? Uh, But they want to protect their postseason dollars at any cost. That's what this is about. Lower regular season costs, protect postseason costs at any, any price, including making a complete mockery of the regular season. Uh, Casamigos Tequila, as always, brings you the program. We We thank them for that. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.